exploring the culture, the adventure, and the impact of martial arts. That's what Kung Fu Podcast is all about. And I'm your host, T.W. Smith. Thank you so much for joining me today in an episode what I'm going to describe as a catch-up episode. They're going to be a little less formal, but they're not going to be informal. And most of the time, I want to try to catch up with some of the small nuances that are going along, and some of them may pertain directly to you as a martial artist, sometimes maybe not. Here it is on a Friday afternoon, about 3.45, and I wanted to share a few notes with you. One of the things I want to share with you is that friend of the program and friend of the martial arts school here, Ando Merzwa, better known in the social world as Sensei Ando, came by just a week or so ago to work out, get to meet a little bit uh, with some of the other students here. And as well, we got an opportunity to pretty much do an impromptu type of video uh, focusing on the long staff. And not so much of focusing on the long staff from showmanship or focusing on the long staff for the concepts of using it as a weapon, even though there's plenty of room to argue that the practicality of having a long stick, whether that be a broom handle, extended PVC vacuum hose pipe, any number of things that could be a long stick-like object, being able to use that as a weapon of opportunity is a very practical thing to work on. Periodically, depends upon what you like to work on. Yet the primary reason I had learned the long staff and the reason I continue practicing it is not for the showmanship or the weaponized pieces of it. It is mostly for the reasons that it helped me open up my body, helped me improve my body mechanics, and it also gave me opportunities to strengthen myself in ways that I had not done before. Usually my strength training was associated with weight training or some sort of athletic resistance work. The heavy staffs and the long staffs provided me a way of working my joints and waist in ways that I had not done before, and it's always benefited me, so I've continued doing it now for 20-some years. What was interesting, though, in case you missed the first time that Ando Merzwa had come in here, it was a whole adventure. I really encourage you to go listen to the episode there on his podcast, Fight for a Happy Life, about his first time visiting here, what it took to find us, what he thought of the place when he was here. This time, however, he came on a Saturday morning, and Saturday morning practice is a big deal around here. He got to meet quite a few of the students, even though there were a large number of them already out of town for other events. By the way, one of the things that I could tell you personally about Ando Merzwa is that he's sincere. The guy that you see in front of the camera there, that popular YouTube channel that he has there with all the things that he does, uh, his podcast, when you're with him one-on-one, nothing's on, he's the same guy. He's polite, he's professional, he's sincere, he's helpful, he listens, he got a chance to practice some of the things that we normally do here in the Chinese martial arts. He sweats it out, he asks questions. I mean, it's just wonderful working with those sorts of folks and getting to know and be friends with those kinds of martial artists. He reemphasizes what the name of this podcast is all about. Kung Fu Podcast, Kung Fu, The Pursuit of Excellence. In any of the martial arts training that we practice, we're all pursuing excellence in whatever it is that we do and however we might be going about it. If we're not pursuing being better, then we're wasting our time. Thank you, Ando, for coming by. I look forward to seeing you again. One of the other things that has been going on for the past couple of weeks that's really kept me, I want to say, held hostage, so to speak, is making a decision. And as a martial arts instructor, and I'm sure that if you have a school, or any business of any kind, you have to make business decisions that influence the way that you're going to flow for maybe the next year, maybe the next 10 years. 
And one of the things that I've been working with is I've been trying to change my operating environment. I've been under the Apple environment for so long that it really was a struggle getting into it, for one, in about 2013. But now, at this phase, I can't seem to get the iCloud to share as nice with other other people or other folks who are, you know, for example, you all. You'll send me an email and, hey, can you share this? Hey, where is that? And I've had a really tough time being able to organize underneath the Apple environment. So I've gone through the struggle. And in fact, even as I speak, it is sitting here synchronizing to go to the Google Drive. I was uh, comparing all of them, the Amazon Drive, the Google Drive, Apple iCloud, and Dropbox. I pretty much dropped Dropbox a couple of, about a year ago when their prices were just kind of going up and I wasn't getting any other extra services for the same dollar. Apple had me entertained in the sense that they started offering two terabytes of uh, cloud space for $99. And if you're a martial artist, you usually are taking lots of pictures and videos of release lessons or things like that. And if you're trying to share something with a non-Apple user, that's a whole nother level of problem. The only thing it reemphasized for me, and I wanted to share with you all, is that if you're beginning a martial arts school, or if you're one day hoping to have a martial arts school, there's a big, big dividend gained if you can start practicing staying organized. Get yourself organized in a way that you can find your folders and get through your photographs, your movies, uh, any of the assets associated with any project, put them in some folders. At today's age, you know, it used to be in my day where you would put everything on a hard drive and tote that thing around. These days, that's so inconvenient and it's almost a hindrance if you're trying to share things on the fly sometimes. So that would be my message. When you're evaluating how you're going to organize your business or your martial arts school, choosing the sort of cloud drive that you want. Amazon Drive is great, and to be honest with you, it's the least expensive, $59 for a terabyte. It's easy to get into, and if you're a Prime member, all of your photos and everything on your iPhone or your uh, Android tablets, whatever you have, is free to upload to the Prime Photo section, so it was well worth it. I'm sharing this with you because I've just gone through all this research, and this is the most up-to-date research I know of as far as comparing those three main clouds, the Amazon Drive, the iCloud Drive, and the Google Drive. And to be honest with you, I don't know how Dropbox is going to make it unless they do something a little different. And the next thing here is an email from Mr. McCann. And he wrote me a note some time ago, and it says, I just wanted to drop you a line and tell you how much I enjoy the podcast. I've been involved in martial arts since the early 1980s, first in the Okinawan karate, and I lived in Okinawa for a while back in the 90s, and more recently in Chinese chin-style Tai Chi. Currently, I also work as a professional doctor of Chinese medicine. You do a great job on the podcast. They are one of my favorites these days. But here's a question for you to think on or to just see if you can do any research on. My son practices modern Chinese wushu. And in those circles, I see a lot of people holding their jin, the straight sword, with the first finger, the index finger, extended along and slightly past the handguard. When I've studied sword techniques in traditional Chin Tai Chi, we never do that. Any idea where this comes from and when it started? I'm inclined to think it's entirely stylistic because it would only seem to be a good way to get your finger chopped off. Mr. McCann, thank you for writing. Though I did learn Tai Chi sword techniques and forms with Lao Pei Jung down in Houston, it is not necessarily my strongest work. He is also the one who shared the long staff with me all those years ago. 
That I got pretty good with. But your question stimulated a thought. It's a little bit more of a global thought that comes back down to the sword. And one of the things that we always want to remember is that many styles, irregardless of what style it is, will get tweaked along the way based on the intention that it's going to be used. A combative martial art that has transformed a sport must go through those types of changes. Uh, you can go back and listen to the two-part podcast, Saving the Soul of Judo, where it discusses that in detail, which reminds me, the first chapter, the preface, and another chapter of that, the whole book, I have been working on on the side, and it is going to be available to you here very soon. I'm going to be putting up over there at the website. But there are other times that the portions are transformed, for example, for uh, presentation. Maybe it's for competition, celebration, and showmanship. Anytime that you take something that was designed to fit into the square box, but now you're going to make it fit into a round box, for example, a competitive uh, backdrop, it's got to form itself into that new shape. So a large part of it might still be the same. But just like changing a square into a circle, some of the components that are going to change just to meet the aesthetics of the boundaries it's being placed in. Because the emphasis of each intention requires a transformation of that art. But to the other part of your question, I'm going to reference Chen Wei Ming, who wrote Tai Chi Sword in 1928, and it was translated by scholar and highly referenced researcher Paul Brennan in December of 2012. Since I had just mentioned that intention changes how something would be trained or worked or how it may look, let's look at the backdrop of how Chen Wei Ming presents his Tai Chi Sword, and he makes it very clear what his book is for as far as his Tai Chi Sword goes. He says, quote, The functions of the sword come down to striking and stabbing, whether the situation to be to the left or right, forward or back, up or down, advancing or retreating. Striking can be a case of orthodox or opposite. For example, it can be done either using the outer edge or the inner edge of the blade. Stabbing can be a case of thrusting or shearing. For example, stabbing directly through the center or using a stabbing action just off the center to slice an opponent open along the side. These things are true for the sword work of both external and internal styles. End quote. So that's the context to which he is writing his book. And before I go any further, let me make sure I give you a translational context because it's something that I have to keep my head wrapped around from time to time. In several Chinese sword manuals regarding the jian, the double-edged sword, when they say hold the sword horizontally, that means that the tip of the sword is pointing toward the sky, and both the sides, both the bladed edges, are running horizontally. In his book, in the very first posture, the ready position, the blade is held horizontally in the left hand, the tip is up. The majority of the blade is hidden behind the practitioner's left arm when you're looking at them from the front. And the description reads, Your left hand holds the sword. The thumb, middle finger, ring finger, and little finger grasp the sword hilt, while the forefinger hangs down, sticking to the sword handle. The plane of the sword touches the back of the forearm, the sword tip pointing upward. Your body stands straight, oriented to the south. End quote. That is the only time that I saw in any illustration or in description 
where the index finger is pointing down the handle of the sword. You'll see in his illustrations and in his descriptions that as the sword is being moved through the intentions of the techniques, the grip isn't with the index finger extended, it's primarily wrapped around the hilt of the sword. So if your intent is to practice using your jian as a weapon and understanding it as a weapon, which according to Chen Ming is to use it for striking and stabbing, then Mr. McCann's assessment would appear to be correct, that extending that index finger is for a stylistic presentational approach. Perhaps it is to give the practitioner a better sense of performance as they're making their presentation. So that'll bring our Catching Up episode to a close. When you get the opportunity, check out Ando Merzwa's work. I think you'll be impressed with many of the things that he puts out. It's very professionally done. That I can absolutely guarantee you. If you ever intend to grow your school or try to grow bigger in any aspect of a business, try to get organized when things are small because when it gets bigger, it's just a bigger mess to try to get organized. And then lastly, as we have said many times in this program, always be attentive to what it is that you're practicing. What are you practicing for? There are many reasons to practice martial arts and I enjoy almost every one of them. But one of the things that you have to stay very clear on is making sure that you know which one you are doing. If you're practicing for sport and you're confusing it when you're practicing with self-protection, or if you're practicing for self-protection, I can promise you it's not going to look very good in a show. You have to get these types of things squared away inside yourself and with your classmates or your teacher as well. Make sure you get in your exercise. Make sure you take care of yourself. What we do for fun a lot of times are things that other people go, ooh, you're kidding me. So you got to take care of yourself in other ways. There are many styles of restorative arts, and I would encourage you to find one of those. Get out there, have a great practice today, and I'll be talking with you again very soon.